This episode is brought to you by Lifetime's Robin Roberts Presents Mahalia. From executive producers Robin Roberts and Linda Berman comes the biopic of the legendary Mahalia Jackson. Grammy Award winner Daniel Brooks stars as the trailblazer whose music moved, inspired, and changed people's hearts. Critics have praised Brooks's transformative performance into the Queen of Gospel as thunderingly good. Directed by Kenny Leon and written by Bettina Jillowa and Todd Kreidler, this Lifetime original movie continues to inspire viewers and highlights the ongoing fight for social justice. Robin Roberts presents Mahalia for your Emmy consideration in all categories. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Deadline's New Hollywood Podcast. My name is Dino Ray Ramos. And I'm Amanda Nduka. And so for this episode, we have the David Oyelowo, um, the director of, he, so he directed his first uh, film, The Waterman, which is a, it's a movie about this, this little boy who basically, um, his mom is sick and he basically goes on this just journey to find this mythical waterman because he believes this waterman has magical healing powers. Um, yeah. So, and we compared it, like, we, you know, he, uh, David talks about how he sort of like um, pulls from like classic adventure sci-fi. Like Spielbergian kind of right? stuff. The like Goonies, he talks the about Goonies. the Goonies was, was a big, a big inspiration for him. Um, yeah. And, you know, obviously we know David from Selma. I mean, he's done a whole bunch of things yeah. since then, but, you know. And he's super talented. And, oh, he also stars in the, uh, the movie right. as well. Right. Right, uh, alongside yeah. Rosario Dawson, uh, right. shout well. out to her. And <laughs> but uh, no, I I I love like kind of the fantasy and adventure of it all, and um, I just think David is is pretty dope. I mean, yeah. he, he, he he's really funny too. He called me out on a couple of things during the episode, <laughs> but that's okay because it's David yeah. so, and yeah. it was all in good fun, right? Um, right. But yeah. yeah. Um, and the movie, the movie will be out. The movie's out now, and I and I believe, um, um, it, it, I think it's going to be available. Netflix. Yeah, it's going to. I think it's going to be theatrical, and then right. it's going to be available on VOD after. Yeah, yeah. And I know Netflix has the international rights, so for for our international listeners, listeners, um, you can just shout out to our internationals. Shout out to our international listeners. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you guys, David is great. I mean, we, I know, I, I always feel like, I, do I like, when I say people are great, do it, does it sound genuine? Because I'm like, I honestly believe you think. Yeah, you do. I think, well, I think, well, all of our guests are great. Yeah. Because otherwise we wouldn't have we wouldn't them on. on the, exactly. <laughs> but David is uh, especially, yeah. And he's doing great things for, 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 for us and representation and for the Nigerians out here in this business, shout out to all the Nigerians that are doing we, great entertainment. Yeah, we got we got a lot of Nigerians. <laughs> yeah. this we'll let you know who they are later, guys. Yeah, but. it's exciting, guys. Yeah, it's, it's really exciting. Um, yeah, so without further ado, here is David. I, I, I missed the baptism yesterday, but I didn't even realize that there was a whole red carpet extravaganza. I mean, I saw Ye Jung Yun's acceptance speech, which I thought was amazing. Yeah, I, 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 I presented to her. Yeah, I saw and, that. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I she's right, by the way. <laughs> uh, I am I am proudly snobbish. Um, um, but I'm just it was just nice to have it called out on on, on screen. Um, but there, but there was something so endearing how she said it. She was, it was just like so like 
Oh, you're right. <laughs> yeah, no, so matter of fact. Can you, you know imagine? what you when you have like these aunties that can pretty much say like whatever no. they want, like. She was like, basically an auntie. She was all, you're all snobbish, y'all. but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but can you imagine gifting someone a BAFTA and then they turn around and basically cuss you out? I mean, <laughs> yeah. just like, I, I feel like that's what my aunties would do. <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, well, you gave me this BAFTA, but it's kind of not shiny. You know, right? I don't know what y'all, this looks this like trash. But thanks. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, that was that was really cool. Oh, that's good that you guys got to be out and and about and around people. I hope you know everybody was still safe and and feeling feeling comfortable because I I have a feeling we're about to move into that that phase now of being back out and I'm I'm really anxious to see how that's gonna go. Um, the awkward phase of the yeah. pandemic. Well, I, I can, I've, I've, I'm, I'm on my third project during the pandemic now. Oh. And so I can, I can give you a heads up. It's, it's actually extraordinary how exhausting human interaction is. <laughs> like, like I did a film recently in London where we had hundreds of extras um, and we had to rehearse. And, you know, just that interaction with humanity after you've been in your house for a year, you you know, people just needed to go home and have like a nap. from Overload. just being around people it's, yeah. it's quite exhausting you know yeah no yeah. I, I i feel that um but anyways david thank you so much for being here i, I don't know if you forgot to thank you at the top of it but welcome to deadline's <laughs> new hollywood podcast thank you I'm very excited to have you um um might have my own personal reasons but obviously like you've been and done some amazing things uh uh your work and we're here to talk about your your first directorial feature the waterman but before we get to that um so we like to get like people's backstories i feel like everybody yeah. has a really amazing journey that and a story to tell about how they ended up where they are in this business in this crazy business so for for you what when did you realize that you wanted to be your performer um, it came a bit later for me than it than it does for some people who who you know a lot of people it, it's when they were a kid uh, very young and they watched movies and you know because you know you and I Amanda share uh, you know having Nigerian parents uh, in terms of our, our heritage you know uh, <laughs> becoming an actor is just like not one of the top million top professions. <laughs> um, <laughs> That, it's not, that, you're that, a doctor, lawyer, engineer. Doctor, doctor, lawyer, it's, it's, engineer. It's the same for the Filipinos. It's the same <laughs> thing. It's an immigrant thing. It's an immigrant yes, thing. It is. And, and, and what you just said there, Amanda, that was exactly the three. You know, uh, a lawyer, doctor, engineer. My, my, my parents had three sons, and I was the one who was um, gifted the uh, thought of becoming a, a lawyer. Um, and I thought that's, that's what I was going to do, you know, but... I should have known better because I, I was more interested in the fact that Blair Underwood was acting a lawyer in the, in the <laughs> show L.A. Law than being an actual lawyer. Um, and, um, you know, with, with, you know, I did youth theater productions. Um, I actually got um, 
a really great role at a youth theater at the National Theater in the UK. And I didn't, you know, I, I, we had lived in Nigeria. I was born in the UK, but we lived in Nigeria from the age of six for me till the age of 13. And then we moved back to the UK and I was, I was really quite a, a shy kid. Um, I actually fell in love with my pastor's daughter who um, uh, could, didn't even know, know I existed. Um, you know, I, I just, I just sort of admired her from the back of the church as she worked the overhead projector. And then one day she uh, invited me on what I thought was a date, but it was actually um, to go and join a youth theater at the National Theater. I didn't even know what the National Theater was. Um, and so, you know, I, um, I kept going because I really liked her. And then I just started to fall in love with this notion of, of being an actor. And, and actually, even before then, what happened is there was one day, these three boys were being groomed to be the lead in this show. And all of them were late to the rehearsal. They were stuck on trains because there was a, a train strike. And the, the director said, uh, you come up and just, just read in the lines. And I guess I just did the lines in the way I pictured I would do it. And the room went completely silent. I thought I'd completely bombed it. And then within a week, I was cast in the lead of this show. And so my very first role was on one of the stages at the National Theatre. And I got these great reviews. And I was only 15. And I thought, whoa, this... Wow. This is something I really like doing. I ended up taking theater uh, um, in, at high, in high school. Um, and then I had a teacher who just really encouraged me and said, I think this is something you can do for a living. She helps me apply to drama school. I, my parents were still like really anti the idea of anything art, uh, arts, but I got a scholarship to go to the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Arts. And even though my dad couldn't understand acting, he could understand scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, so that that's what swung it, and I went to uh, Lambda for three years, and then uh, it, it sort of went from there. Yeah. So wait, what was it? When was the changing point for you when it came to your parents? Like, when did they become excited yeah. about what you do? Um, about three years after leaving drama school, I was so blessed, so, so blessed to play Henry VI at the Royal Shakespeare Company. And my dad was the kind of person, if you give him a, a warm room with a comfy seat um, and it's dark, within about a minute and a half, he will be asleep. So, <laughs> so, so taking him to the theater was just always a disaster. Yes. Um, uh, and I remember him coming to my graduation show and both my mom and dad wore their traditional Nigerian clothes, which was sparkling in the dark. And it was my, my, my uh, graduation presentation. And I walk on stage and there are two people in very bright clothes leaning on each other asleep. Um, and of, course, of course, those are my parents. And, and, and literally the theater lights are sort of catching on the clothes. So it's like everyone, you know, they are glowing in their slumber. Um, so, you know, when I got Henry VI, it was Henry VI parts one, two, and three. And on a Saturday, we would perform all three. Oh, wow. In, in the same day, we would start at 10.30 in the morning and then finish at 10.30 at night. And of course I thought, well, this is going to be catastrophic for my dad. Um, you know, but I will say he sat through 12 hours of Shakespeare, was awake the whole time, wow. 
and and came up to me at the 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 stage door afterwards and he said to me i cannot believe they allowed a black man to play the king of england and it is my son oh my god and that was the day beyond which he became uh, my number one fan oh, oh that's such a good story you know you probably told that plenty of times <laughs> everything you were saying i had it the picture in my head it, it is such a big deal when it when especially african when they stay up through something <laughs> oh yeah it yeah, is that's a massive deal. sacrifice <laughs> so oh my gosh i love 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 that story um, so, so for you though, I mean, you, 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 you grew up in, you, you, you sort of grew up in Nigeria and in, 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 in London and, and everything. So how has your, your sort of your own identity and your upbringing influenced your, your career path so far or thus far? It has enormously, uh, you know, in the sense that it was very, um, I feel very, very fortunate that for formative years of my life, I lived in a country and in a society where I wasn't a minority mm. um, because it did something to my perception of myself and what was possible for me. Oh. You know, when you live in countries where you're a minority, where racism is prevalent, where marginalization is prevalent, where not every opportunity on offer in that society is yours for the taking, whether literally or even psychologically, just in terms of your perspective, it really affects how you get out of bed every day, how you uh, perceive where your glass ceiling is, what you, you can achieve. And because from the age of six to 13, I lived in a society where every opportunity on offer was mine for the taking, it was just something that got ingrained in me. And so even when we moved back to the UK, and then when I eventually moved to the US with my family, for some reason, I never went back to a minority mentality. It's, it's mm. what I call the Sidney Poitier syndrome. You know, you, I often look at Sidney Poitier and just think, how did he achieve what he achieved in that time he achieved it? I mean, even now what he achieved is tough to achieve. And I think it's because he also grew up in a society in a, you know, um, in, the, in the Caribbean where he was not a minority. And so he took that mindset into America and said, I know who I am, give me what is due to me. And if you don't, I'm gonna pursue it anyway. Mm -hmm. and, and that has been something that has sort of really stood me in, in good stead. Doesn't mean I haven't faced challenges, doesn't mean that there haven't been glass ceilings I've had to sort of try and bust my way through, but I've never let it influence how I perceive myself. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, I think that's, that's just amazing about, you know, because, you know, being raised here and like me being raised, uh, me and Amanda actually are both from Texas. Right. <laughs> and um, and um, being raised in a majority white, you know, space, mm -hmm. being the only, like, I was like one of like three Filipinos at my high school, which was like, my senior class was like 800 people. So, wow. uh, uh, and then the, it's, it's what you just said. I was like, oh, man, I wish I could, Feel yeah, that, you know? it got me thinking about that too because I was like, I think I I think we do limit ourselves based on obviously our our surroundings, and that's and that's very very dangerous. And I'm wondering if there's a way, you know, especially people that grow up here, is there a way to sort of co combat that? Like, I, it's it's just yeah. really hard to think about 
even like for us getting into this business, getting into entertainment, it was my parents weren't on board with it too. And part part of it, the reason is there's not that many people that look like me that mm. do this business. So it's, you know, we, we limit ourselves or, yeah. you know. Yeah. And it's also that whole thing of uh, we have to be excellent in order yeah. to succeed. And if we are anything below, then we, you know, it's like you lose your chance. It's like, which is like so heartbreaking to me, but you I feel like we're seeing it, we're, we're seeing it change now yeah. like this you, younger generation is like they're not having it like they're just like we're gonna do what we want we don't care what you say um but yeah it, it's just so interesting to, to hear you say that because we wake up like I remember when we had Don Porter on for for uh for uh, good trouble she was mm. she was saying that we wake up every day or you know as a black woman she wakes up you know what 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 black tax or what tax do I have to pay today what do I have to fight today? What battle do I have to fight today? And to yeah. not have that, or like just to like, you know, like for instance, like when I saw Raya on Disney or, you know, that, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, and it's it's all Southeast Asian. And I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. You know, seeing nuances of the Filipino culture, Thai culture. And I was like, is this how white people feel every time they see a movie? Right. Right. <laughs> Well, well, that's exactly, you know, what you just said there before, Amanda, as well, in terms of how does one get that as someone growing up as a minority in, in a society? That's why I take so seriously this industry, because what you just said there is about Raya, that is one of the ways we feel seen, yeah. is when the culture around you shows that your perspective not only matters, but is allowed to be central. Because if you're one of three of what you are deemed to be in a class of 800, you feel like you are on the margins. You feel like you are peripheral. You do not feel central to that world. And if everything around you, culture-wise, politics, sport, whatever it is, if every facet of life is reaffirming that to you, it is almost impossible to fight through those perceptions that feel like realities because of what you're surrounded by. So that's why for me in the work I do, I'm always looking for ways where people who look like me, my own personal perspective, is central to any any narrative I'm putting out into the world because I'm I'm essentially speaking to my 12-year-old self mm-hmm. who when he watched certain things didn't feel central but thankfully the environment I was in made me feel central um, and so I understood that there is a conflict between how I feel and what I'm seeing um, and, and so therefore, how do you put stuff out into the world that not only speaks to people who look like me, but speaks to people who don't about the fact that they are not necessarily the center of the universe. There are other perspectives mm-hmm. that are of value and that are informative and nourishing and enriching for them to uh, pay attention to as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking to that, you know, moving here stateside and seeing how this industry is and the bias and the unconscious bias, the 
blatant and subtle racism and microaggressions that the film and TV industry has, you know, did, were you aware, how did you manage your expectations uh, when it came to kind of, I guess, transitioning over from the UK to here? Yeah, it, it, it was definitely challenging because, you know, um, racism, marginalization, you know, having to fight your way through. I mean, what you said earlier about, you know, you have to be excellent to succeed. A lot of the time you have to be excellent just to survive. Right. Mm. You know, you're, you're, you're almost anomalous if you then go on to succeed. Um, and, and, and so, you know, that was something I definitely felt um, not just in the industry, but in society in the UK. And then it's slightly different in, in America. The thing I like about America is that, you know, the racism in America will come at you head on, you know, like someone will just call you the N word to your face. It'll just be like, oh, I see where we're going with this in the UK. <laughs> You know, you'll 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 have had crumpets and tea with someone. You'll you'll go home and then you'll put your hand on your back and you'll be like, "Why am I bleeding?" And you'll be like, "Oh, that thing they said was that." Yeah. You know what? Oh. You know that's how racism works in the UK. It goes through this filter of politeness and class, mm -hmm. and the class element is the real killer because. Everyone buys into it. Oh, I'm working class, I'm middle class, I'm upper class. And then you wear it as a badge of honor. But what it's actually doing is it's compartmentalizing people within that society and telling them do not deviate from that box. You know, class in America is different. It's, a, it's about money. And, and at the end of the day, if you are making people money or if, if you are, are, are doing something or an, are an individual who can bring about wealth, you can find a way through. Um, and obviously that's not ideal, but there's a path. Right. Is, is I guess what I'm, I'm saying. So I would describe mm -hmm. the, 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 the American film industry as can do and the British film industry certainly historically as can don't. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I'd much rather be in, in can do and the can do comes from FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. Everyone will meet you, everyone will consider you, but at the end of the day, the biases that exist within Hollywood mean that there is still this thing that also exists within the British system, which is that people are essentially hiring their friends, people who look like them, because they love themselves and they want to perpetuate them the fact that they are important. And all I'm asking for in the work I do is that, okay, allow people who look like me and other people from all sorts of walks of life to be in positions of power so that they also can employ their biases. And by osmosis, we have more of, 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 of a, you know, a representation of, of, of humanity. And so that I think is something that, as you guys said, is getting better. I think there have been these moments, these big moments, you know, one of which I was unexpectedly part of, you know, Oscar So White um, being mm -hmm. something that, you know, Selma, uh, a film that, that I did playing Dr. King was, was one of the touch points for. And, you know, we've seen movements like Oscar So White or Me Too uh, be opportunities to really hold not only our industry, but society accountable. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, hopefully. Yes. Good I mean, answer. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just hoping that, you know, I feel like sometimes in this industry, when you take one step forward, it's always two or three steps back. I mean, we saw what happened with the Golden Globes 
this year mm -hmm. after this whole Oscar so white um, uh, movement. So, I mean, all you could do is sort of, you know, be optimistic and hopeful for the future, but I guess cautiously optimistic. <laughs> because Sometimes this industry makes it hard to be right. hopeful, but, but yeah. Yeah, I would take it a step further. I'm not I'm not optimistic and I'm not cautiously optimistic. I am determined to remain vigilant mm -hmm. um, because we have seen these moments in the past um, whereby, you know, there's the black renaissance in the 90s or there's, you know, uh, 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 they'll be they'll, they'll always take the opportunity to point at the one you know yeah. which is the which is the exception not the rule right and yeah. the one way to normalize the marginalized you know uh, 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 being ever present and not on the fringes is to is for there to be a genuine redistribution of power and that is about ownership and I think that, you know, the shakeup that the pandemic has brought to the industry, what I'm hoping that content creators recognize is that they have more power than they realize. You know, without us, the studios mm -hmm. will crater. Nothing, yeah. right. To be perfectly frank, they're already doing that. And, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. streamers have shown that, you know, history has shown empires fall. You know, the studios, are in the process of a, they are about to become production companies for streamers. Um, mm. You know, that's literally what's about to happen. That's true. Yeah, it's on the, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's it, it, like, like, there is like a lot of, there's this whole old way of thinking that a lot yeah. of, let's face it, a lot of old white cisgender <laughs> hetero men, they are, they have a, like a grip on it and they refuse to let it go and kind of won't, you know, allow people to bring them to the present or even into the future. And they, why so should they when everything you have grown up has seeing tells you you are top of the apex, you are important, mm -hmm. you are the king, you are valuable, you are valued, you are desirable, everything right. in media, in politics, in, in, in everywhere you look. Everything. You, you <laughs> on every poster, on every magazine, you are, it is a self-fulfilling prophecy. You are told it by the history you learn, by the, by, by the, the, the way your looks are celebrated, that this is the way it is. So, you know, you can't blame them yeah, because exactly. there is a reason why in The Waterman, even though that, that, that script was originally written for a white family, there yeah. is a reason why I have very consciously and intentionally made it a black family because I loved those kind of films growing up, but I never mm. saw myself represented in them. And I know that the younger equivalent of myself seeing a film like The Waterman, it shifts your perspective because it's not about race. It's about a kid who loves his family and goes on an adventure and he's at the center of the narrative. And yeah. if kids from all of all shades, from all places get to see themselves represented in that way, you know, what you said earlier about must be nice, <laughs> to, feel that, that, to feel the way you felt all the time right. uh, uh, watching Raya, for them to feel that all the time must be like, yeah, it is nice. It's great. <laughs> it's fantastic. Right. That's why we need to do more of it for ourselves. So it's about ownership in order to be able to put that stuff out in the world. 
Yes. And let's talk, let's talk about the Waterman um, yes. a little bit more. So is that why, is that why you decided to make this your first director? You wanted to direct this um, film? Cause this is obviously your first time in the director's chair. Um, yeah. This is um, 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 Emma, Emma Nettles script from, it's a, was it 2019 Blacklist? Um, from 2015 the, actually. 2015 Black, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So it was, I mean, it had, it had all the elements that it seems like, is that why you decided to choose it as your first um, and then how long, how long, how long were you thinking about directing before you started this project? Yeah, it, 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 directing The Waterman came to me very, very much in a circuitous uh, route. Um, I, I'm a father of four, four kids. Like I said, I loved those kind of films growing up. Goonies, Stand By Me. Yes, e Goonies is my favorite. <laughs> no, yeah, just love those from Gremlins. And they were they were smaller films, a lot of them made by Amblin, that you know had adventure, had a, a kid's perspective that was, you know, not patronizing the kids, but had both adventure but a bit of meaning to it as well. I remember having great conversations with my parents after seeing those films. And I just, you know, as I became a parent and I didn't have those kind of films to share with my kids. I like watching Marvel movies with them, but to be perfectly honest, there's not much to sort of hold on to after you watch a Marvel movie. It's a bit like a roller coaster ride. You get off, you feel a little bit dizzy and then you go about your day. Um, <laughs> but I, I like a movie that sort of sticks with me a little bit more. And so I said to my agency, um, you know, if there is a film like this out there, you know, I'm, I'm, I produce movies as well. I just love to, to, to make one of those films. And it coincided with The Waterman coming on the blacklist. I met with Emma Nidell talked to her about my passion for these kind of films, talked to her about the fact that I'd love to play the father role and that would by osmosis make this a black family and how she felt about that. She loved the idea. And, and so initially I was only going to produce it and be in it. We had a director, he, he uh, left the project and I had always wanted to direct. I'd always treated the wonderful uh, acting jobs I, I'd, I'd um, been getting as my film school, you know, watching directors and, and seeing how they do it. And, you know, um, Emma and my, my fellow producers, uh, Oprah Winfrey and, and Carla Gardini, who runs her company and Monica Levinson, they all knew I had this ambition to direct. And it was actually Emma who turned to me when we lost our director and said, I think you should do it, David. And, and I, I sort of took a moment to think about that because I hadn't anticipated The Waterman being my directorial debut, but I realized just how passionate I was about seeing this story getting told and how much I identified as Ghana, the young kid, as played by Lonnie Davis, uh, in terms of the, the, the childlike side of myself, and how much I identified with Amos, the character I play, the father, you know, the very fallible but loving father that I play. And so there were just so many things about it that that spoke to me. And so I decided to uh, to jump into the director's chair. Who did you model the, the father after? Ooh, good question, because I wouldn't say he's me necessarily, okay. but where I do really identify with him personally is, you know, anyone who's a parent knows that it is an exercise in failure every day. I mean, you, you literally, it is impossible to continuously get that task right. But if you're coming from a place of love, there's a real chance that your children will be whole. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, even even if you're not not getting it perfectly right. But you know, I, I would say that he's he's for me less based on any individual. He's more based on the fact that I wanted to show a family who was going through really tough issues mm-hmm. where there were dysfunctional relationships, but love was central to the motivations for everyone within that family. Mm-hmm. Son to mother, mother to son, husband to wife, wife to husband, and parents towards their child and vice versa. Right. Because no family is perfect and you don't have to be perfect in order for love to be central to a family. And I wanted to make a film that any and every family can identify with. And those elements I talk about there, I see in every single family. This episode is brought to you by Lifetime's Robin Roberts Presents Mahalia. From executive producers Robin Roberts and Linda Berman comes the biopic of the legendary Mahalia Jackson. Grammy Award winner Daniel Brooks stars as the trailblazer whose music moved, inspired, and changed people's hearts. Critics have praised Brooks's transformative performance into the Queen of Gospel as thunderingly good. Directed by Kenny Leon and written by Bettina Jillowa and Todd Kreidler, this Lifetime original movie continues to inspire viewers and highlights the ongoing fight for social justice. Robin Roberts presents Mahalia for your Emmy consideration in all categories. Yeah, I, I love how I, I did feel that vibe of Goonies, Stand By Me. <clears throat> that Spielbergian era of like these films that I think a lot of us grew up with. And like like thinking about it now, I'm like, oh, okay, Goonies. There was Goonies, there was, you know, Stand By Me. And then and I was like, oh, there's never been any like literal color in them. Because <laughs> like right. the, the first time I saw Goonies, I saw that data, King Kwan. Yeah, yeah. That was pretty much the first time I felt seen. Like I was right. like, wait a second, he, he, he's kind of like me, you know? Yeah. And I was like, all these all these white kids are hanging out with this Asian, <laughs> this like right. smart Asian kid. Right. And like, we have stuff like, we're seeing kind of it evolve with like stranger things, you know? I, yes. I love how yeah. that, but to see it in Waterman and have, have like, see this kid who I actually related to, like, I was just like, oh, he, he drew comics. He, he has this like wild imagination and I was like, that was so mean, you know, and right. just like even that kind of was just like, you know, again, representation matters. And I know we say that a lot, but it's, it's it true. It does. Yeah. It, it, it just yeah. does. You have to, to keep saying it, to, to be honest. I think, I think, you know, we do get tired and it becomes a buzzword, but it's like, it's true. <laughs> and people need to be reminded. It's so that true. Everything. Yeah, you need to keep saying it and we need to keep seeing it as well, you know, and and for me, it's not just about black and brown kids seeing themselves in a character like Gunner. What's as important is white kids seeing themselves in a kid like Gunner, because I think that's where empathy can come into a society when you can see yourself 
in people who don't necessarily look like you, who aren't from the same place as you're from. That's the thing that breaks down prejudice because prejudice mm. is rooted in fear, fear of the unknown. Oh, you don't look like me. You're not from where I'm from. Mm, we must be so different that we're maybe we're enemies, maybe we're at odds. And then worse still, if you have parents or a society that then validates that way of thinking, it just exacerbates it. But, you know, so often films are the way that we feel seen and we see other cultures, other people. You know, I've been identifying with white people my entire life just because exactly. that's what I see all the time. And then when we tell our stories, a lot of the time, one of the challenges you face is feeling like you need to give all of this backstory and then explain why there's yeah. a black family in Oregon. And like, <laughs> no, no, I'm not explaining any of that. They're just in this place and they're doing human being things in a human being way in a fantastical journey, come along for the ride. And, yeah. and yeah. You know, I'm just so tired of, of, of explaining or apologizing for my existence. Yeah. I'm just not gonna do it. Yeah, here, here. I think that's, that's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing is like, we've been raised in this culture where the white protagonist has been the default, right? It's like- right. We know that story. We know, like, again, going back to Stand By Me, I so related to Vern, the chubby kid who, yes, who, yes, who is like, yes. it's like, a, and it's, now it's like, oh, well, now it's kind of y'all's turn to relate to us. That, yeah, that right. kind of thing. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I was watching, I, I was watching um, uh, Daniel Kulu on SNL, I think a couple weeks back, and yeah. they did this sketch, him and um, um, Edo, is that her name, Edo? I can't remember the the black. She's Nigerian. She's on SNL. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, is, we know. Yeah, yeah. But like they did a sketch about like Nigerian parents and like how they like. Their, <laughs> it was like it was like a, it was a Nigerian parent wow. family and a white family. And they were talking about their kids going into the arts. Right. And like <laughs> watching, wow. um, Daniel and I, her name is I think it's Edo. But watching them, I was dying because I understood exactly what they were what they were talking about but in my back of my head I was like are white people gonna get this like I don't know why I was just so but it's like I never have to, <laughs> I, like you said I identify we've all identified with white people our whole lives like I we get their jokes too you know like <laughs> so, yeah. so now so, it's time for them to get yeah colors, right it's it like, so it's like a, that's why yeah it was so refreshing seeing like these two people like making these jokes on such a mainstream show like I was it, it lit me I was so happy I like I said I was dying of laughter it just yeah. feels really good to see stuff like that you know and hopefully we can yeah. see, we see more of that well that's um, what I loved about Minari as well you mentioned that or, or, mm. already and, and that again oh. it didn't apologize for you know the language the culture the American yeah. dream the specificity of it the cultural specificity of it you know and for me personally it is very, very um, clear to me that the, the universal is found in the specific. The more specific mm. you make it, actually the more people identify with it because you find yourself going, oh my gosh, my family's weird too. Yeah. Your family's weird? <laughs> oh my God, you know what I mean? It, the, the quirkier, right. the weirder, I mean, life is so much stranger than fiction. And I think just to unapologetically tell your truth in your storytelling is the key. Yes. I, yeah. I and I think, yeah, and it's like with, with uh, Yeojung, uh, who plays the grandmother in Minari, so many people were like, oh, that's my grandmother. No exactly. matter Asian, Black, Latino, 
white. They're just like, oh, that's, and she didn't even speak English in the, right. in the movie. Yeah. And that speaks so much. And like, okay. I am ready for her to get her Oscar on April 23rd because <laughs> like, I, I balled in that movie. But, um, yeah. but David, I want to ask you like this, the, uh, the Waterman has a lot to do with kind of folklore and urban legends. Um, are you a believer or is there like a folklore urban legend from your childhood that you kind of tapped into when you were directing this? Well, gosh, you know, growing up in Nigeria, you know, we are all about, that. <laughs> you know, I mean, like uh, there, there were, there were urban legends, there were myths, there were stories, there are family stories, there are, you know, and there are ceremonies, there are these these masquerades who will be dancing in the street and they go around whipping you if you've been Black naughty. You. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, there, there are, you know, you'd read in the newspaper about, you know, this, this witch doctor had given someone a potion because this man was having an affair with a woman and then he got stuck inside <laughs> her. And this is like literally in like, the New York Times. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> our equivalent. You know, so I grew up in a culture whereby all of that was just really present. Yeah. And as a kid, you you combine that with a kid's imagination, you are believing everything. Yeah. You, you know, and so it, it really makes for a, a, a colorful, rich tapestry to live your life within. And so you know, when you're in the dark, there is no way someone is, is telling you there isn't a dinosaur coming coming for you because you just have all this imagery in your head of like, I, I, I saw it, but I saw it, but you know. And so for me, The Waterman was very much about that close relationship between reality and fantasy as it pertains to a child's existence. Mm -hmm. And when you then combine some of the tougher things in life, when you are, your imagination is all over the place, it explodes, um, you know, and that's why we do a lot of juxtaposing the reality as parents and grownups see it and the reality as a kid sees it. So, you know, uh, um, without giving too many spoilers, there are things that, that Gunnar sees in the forest and then get explained as something completely different than what he saw, but they were real for him and they're right. completely real for someone else. And that is very much the child, you know, that's, that's one of the gifts of being a child. And it's one of the things we lose as we get older is, is you know, there is something to be said for having a wide-eyed imaginative perspective when you're dealing with trauma, when you're dealing with pain, we lose so much of that as we get older. And that's why, you know, there's that, there's that example, you know, babies, when they fall over, they don't break bones because they just go with it. When you're older, you start to get really rigid and you fall in the same way, you break bones. It's because, you know, you know too much as you get older. And that's, you know, Gunnar is at this tender age. It's a rites of passage movie. So he's at 11 and he's just going from that place where imagination is everything and reality is just waiting around the corner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, that's what I appreciated about the movie because, again, no spoilers, but you know, the, the mo there's you know kind of a moment where I'm just like, oh, I know that in this situation, as an adult, I would be all, this is kind of silly, right? But then you're right, just like, right. but then you're just like, oh. Why not just embrace it? You know, it's like, I think, especially in the film industry, when it comes to storytelling or film and TV, when people are like, oh, that's silly, or that will never happen. 
And I'm like, right. oh, you'll say that about kind of this indie movie, but you won't say anything about this Marvel movie, which is all about, you know, make-believe it. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I love how you said that. It's kind of like, lighten up <laughs> this interesting way. It's like, it's like don't, don't be so like, you know, judgy and be all, this is a fantasy, go with but it. E.T. E. is the perfect example to me. When you think mm. back to E.T., you know, that film starts with a family where the father has just left, the mother is looking down the barrel of being a single parent, and these kids are like, where's dad? Who's this lady he's gone off to be with? Like real, like really intense family issues. And then that same night, they find an alien in the shed. Right. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But, but there is something about it. It's allegorical of, of the fact that you can be dealing with the realest of the real one moment, and then you look up and it's like, whoa, what's happening over there? And that's the joy of being a kid. Yeah. You know, and that's mm. also yeah. the joy of storytelling, that you can use something like the Waterman and like adventure and like fantasy to really bring closer the reality of situations we face every day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this movie comes out um, May 7th. Yeah. Correct? Yes. yes okay, so um, what is next for you, David? What can you what can you tell us? Are you doing more directing projects? I know you you you're said you're filming um, something right now. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been beautifully busy. Um, yeah, as you say, the Waterman comes out May May seventh. It's in theaters, which is wonderful because you know we made the film before the pandemic. We had to do the post during the pandemic, um, which is really, really tough. But, you know, we're prayerful that people will see it in the environment it was designed to be seen before it then goes on to uh, VOD eventually. So that that I couldn't be more excited about if I tried. But yeah, you know, I have um, uh, Peter Rabbit 2 coming out um, mm -hmm. soon after that in June. I loved doing that film. I loved um, the first yeah. one. And actually working with Will Gluck was amazing because I worked with him just before I went on to direct The, the Waterman and, and that was really instructive uh, for me. Um, you know, I also, during the pandemic, I shot a film called Solitary uh, with Nate Parker and uh, that one's about um, a guy who has been in solitary confinement for seven years and then comes out and is trying to rebuild his life with his, his son and fiance and, and is really, struggling to discern what is real and what is imagined because that solitary confinement really messes with your with your head your your, yeah. your mental state um and that's a film i'm, I'm really really proud of i also pr uh, produced it along with nate and uh, aaron gilbert and, and the guys at bronze studios um and then i did uh, this uh, murder mystery film it's untitled at the moment for uh, fox searchlight oh it's searchlight now not even fox searchlight yes. um and I play a flamboyant playwright in the 50s in that one. I loved doing oh, that. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited yeah. to see that one. Yeah, oh. yeah. Oh, yeah. And great cast. Saoirse Ronan, Sam yeah. Rockwell. Oh. Uh, you know, I mean, just Adrian Brody, Ruth yeah. Wilson. Just and, uh, oh, my God. That's a cast. That's a cast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's really uh, great. And, I, and I'm here in Bristol doing a, a limited series for HBO and the BBC with Gugu. Mbata Raw right now. And that's oh my God, I love her. 
Yeah, amazing. You guys, you guys, didn't you guys all come up? You you came, didn't you guys come or went to school together? Or are you and Gugu? Or you guys came Yeah, well, we we um we were we were born in the same hospital um, okay. in, in Oxford. What? You know, quite a few years <laughs> apart. Well, yeah, you know, a couple years apart. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, obviously uh, coming up in the in the British scene, I've known Gugu for about 10 years. We did a film called Cloverfield Paradox together, yeah. a film I produced nice. that was also in called Come Away. She was in yeah. Um, yes. and uh, she actually was even in a film that my wife directed a short film called um, uh, uh, After the Storm and she played my my middle son's uh, mother in that film um, so yeah I know her really well yeah <laughs> that's cool yeah I'm looking forward, looking forward to seeing all of those um, and did you say you're going to direct more or, or I want to I really really want to but you know I have this wonderful day job of being an actor, which I really love doing. And when you direct, you know, it better be something you love because you're going to watch that film hundreds of times. And I mean, literally. <laughs> um, and, and also it takes about a year and a half, two years of your life. And that's a lot of movies for me that means I can't do. So I'm waiting for that thing that really makes it worth pay paying that price. But I loved the experience of directing uh, and I just love storytelling. And I really admire actors like George Clooney, like Nate Parker, like Joel Edgerton, like uh, Mel Gibson, who, you know, like Regina, Regina King, who uh, are directing as well as acting, Clint Eastwood being the, the, yeah. the, the big daddy of, of, of all of those guys. I just, I just love the idea of having a career where I can continue to do that. Yeah, you mentioned George Clooney. I was, I was gonna say, I love that uh, the Midnight Sky movie. Oh my gosh! Mm. Thank you. So, yeah, it's so good. So we like to wrap up our our interview with a, a segment we call the facts or the FAQs. Just a fun random question segment, a fun way to wrap up the session. So your okay. first question is, what was your favorite toy as a child? Oh, I had I had an action man, um, a GI Joe uh, uh, thing. Mm. That, that was my that was my favorite, and uh, you know I could never get my hair to be bristly like him. See how they do us? There was never a black one. There was never a black one. So I was constantly going, why doesn't my hair do that do that thing? I had the same thing with the fonts in Happy Days. I was like, why doesn't the do my hair? You know the way it does for Henry Winkler. See how they do us? We've got to change this. Exactly, you know? representation matters we're gonna keep saying yes <laughs> um okay so what was the last movie you saw in a movie theater oh gosh the last movie <laughs> i saw in a in a theater with an audience <laughs> mind you <laughs> I, I honestly don't even remember mine how depressing <laughs> is this that i don't even okay know. It can't be, it can't be. What's that, why am I blanking on the name? The, the uh, Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga film. Oh, Star is oh, Born. Oh, a, a Star is Born. Can't be a Star is Born. <laughs> no, that it was, can be. It that can't, was like two that's, No, that's, no, that I remember, I remember, it was Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, oh! <laughs> it was that's Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I out, love, out, yeah. Yeah, that was like right when, just before yeah, our lives, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just yeah, watched something. Wait, do you, wait, you, Amanda, you don't remember yours? I have no idea. I don't. I might not, because when did lock? When did the lockdown happen? April, right? 
Okay. I have to have March. Because I remember March. it was March 13th March. here in LA. Yeah, I don't remember. Mine was mine was a pro like mine was Mulan, which was it was the oh, premiere. Oh yeah, I remember which it was even to the premiere, right. yeah. Right. And I re I remember the after party, people were like like people were already getting a little bit like oh really and like yeah like right. they were they were serving us we couldn't serve ourselves and i remember one, one of my friends took a cookie off a tray and they were like oh now we're gonna have to throw that whole tray out because you, wow. you... <laughs> wow. that's gonna be us soon telling me that <laughs> okay <laughs> okay what is the funnest way you have ever broken the law funniest <laughs> funniest <laughs> way Funniest, sorry. Way. Oh, the funniest way. Yeah, the funniest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. I'm such a good boy. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. <laughs> the funniest way I've ever... You know what? It's it's literally... It, it, can I say... Am I going to get arrested if I admit this? Like, no, you're, this is a safe space. Funniest way. I mean, yeah. we'll share ours, way. too. <laughs> Funniest way, I probably ran a, a light, a red light or two when I, you know. Oh my God, David, we're going to. When I got my new Tesla, but it was a Tesla, you guys, it was a Tesla. <laughs> you cannot get a new Tesla and be and thinking about the lights, <laughs> you know. And it was just the first time I drove it. Honestly, <laughs> officer, you can't come to me now. It was a new Tesla. <laughs> it was a yeah, it's no, that's, you're, 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 wait, Amanda, do you have uh, one? I don't know. I'm trying to think of ways that I, I have broken the law. And trying to see which one would be the funniest. <laughs> so you made me like confess a thing, and now you're gonna say, you know what? I, I think never. No, I think no. I admit that I have broken the law a couple of times. I know that for sure. I'm just trying to think of the funny, the funniest one, but I can't think of one. Well, there has been there has been multiple times when I have gone to the grocery store or a Target and realized I opened the bag and I'm all, wait, did I pay for this? Look at the receipt and I didn't. Is, does that count? That's, that's kind of really, like shoplifting I mean, shop yeah, yeah, adjacent. That's unintentional though. You didn't, you didn't intentionally take an item. Maybe they forgot. I can tell it. it's burning on your conscience and that's how you know you should have <laughs> taken it back. You did wrong. <laughs> I think you should go back to that store like now. Get on a mask and go and pay. Go to return like, that item. I, I feel I accidentally uh, uh, put this uh, face mask. On. It was like it was kind of one of those gel face masks. <laughs> <laughs> so, like okay. I have so and much David, Christian guilt about the red light right now. I've, you I've guys definitely intentionally terrible. run red lights before, especially at night. No, me too. Like, take forever and i'm when like, there's no one there yeah when yes. there's no one there i'll i'll run i've run like yeah i should make also, that clarification so like, i should make no that it was there's no one there ventura is very quiet at night <laughs> yeah. sometimes and you know come on no, guys but, but you like, know do you do do you do the thing when you're like when you're driving and you see it turning yellow but you kind of just avoid seeing it turn red and you're just like oh i'm fine <laughs> Like, that's, you, only you. Yeah. that's only that you. That's only you. You should feel terrible. He was like, close his eyes. I can do it. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just like, oh, oh, it's, it's like, oh, it's yellow, it's yellow, yellow. But yeah, <laughs> that's me. Well, you, this is your own internal monologue we're yeah. hearing right now. It's really interesting. Right? Yeah, I, I, I'm total try. I steal face mask from Target and I run <laughs> red lights. <laughs> 
Dino, go go you guys. Ask for, go ask for your uh, do your hail marys and a and and. I wanna I wanna I wanna pray. I mean, I'm like hello Filipino Christian or Catholic guilt. Like it's like mourning the religion rather than celebrating. <laughs> like, so I feel guilty. <laughs> like hardcore. Like oh, Filipino, man. like I remember there were days when my mom would be all, y'all get down here. We're gonna pray the rosary for an hour. And I'll be all, oh God, I have homework. <laughs> and she's like, I don't care. <laughs> she's like, I don't care. You're here. Okay, so our, our next question. Okay, here, uh, you, uh, another hypothetical. You yeah. are stranded on a desert island, a deserted island, and you have everything you need to survive. You have a nice house, entertainment, medical care, clothes, running water, water reliable electricity, everything. The only thing is you have to choose one chain restaurant to provide your food for the rest of your life. What would it be? Spago. Oh, really? Oh, what? That's fancy. <laughs> of, course. of course it's fancy. <laughs> I'm snobbish. Didn't you watch the BAFTAs last night? <laughs> what did you think I was going to say? In and out? Yeah, well, there you go. That's what yes. I would say. No, 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 You're no, gonna no. Say in and out. no. I wouldn't say you, in and you out. You guys need to listen to Ya Jung Yun. This is like the thing. <laughs> I am snobbish. Okay, no, it's I, Fargo on tap. Thank okay, you. That's good. That's good. <laughs> on tap. I like that. That's that's good. I, I actually like that. You 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 were honest, and I appreciate it. I would actually choose. Cheesecake Factory. If, if we're choosing empty bad. restaurants, I would choose Ocean Prime, even though like it's it's kind of yeah yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah kind of like in the middle. But Ocean Prime has really good lobster and steak. Just oh, there you, there you go. <laughs> yeah, okay. I guess I'm the only like trash. Here. Yeah. I, I, I'm the trash here. I'm all I want Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> I would take a chip, that bread. I could live off of that 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 brown bread though. Yeah, same here. Same here. Okay. And plus the Cheesecake Factory menu is like a yearbook. It's it like- is. <laughs> It is, they have a lot. Okay, would you rather never have to clean a bathroom again or never have to do the dishes again? Ooh, never have to, never have to do the dishes again. I think the dishes, you know, yeah. like, like when you have a dried up egg whisk yeah. to deal with, <laughs> Or, or, you know, someone's, you know, done oatmeal and just left it there. That's that's quite yeah. different than a tub. Very annoying, yeah. yeah it's very, yeah. very annoying. There, More multifaceted, there, I think, dishes yeah. than a bar. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that because there is something satisfying about, you know, after you're, like, crossing your arms and looking at a clean bathroom after you did. There's, like, something very satisfying about that. <laughs> Not for Amanda. Not Amanda. to you. <laughs> I can't, I hate cleaning toilets. That's, that's, that's the one thing I would, right. I, if I didn't have to clean the toilets then I would say bath or dishes, but I can't, I hate cleaning toilets. Oh, yeah. really? Oh, well. Yeah. I'm, so, okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So, so I, now I, can't help you there. I can't help you there, Amanda. It's just a fact of life. It's yeah, gotta be done. Right. I mean, I mean, hopefully yeah, we're, we're learning cleaning toilets one day. Like, shoot, maybe I should. <laughs> it's, it's difficult. <laughs> We're learning a lot These about- These are very first world problems. Right, <laughs> right. Let's, let's just clarify this. It's, it you saying it's difficult. Problems. I felt we were going down a road yeah. where we would be like, these people need to go and live some life. Right. Go, to go, go back, back to live in the village. <laughs> they need to go back to also, village somewhere. And they'll show you how to clean up. Also, we- what the looks like. <laughs> oh, God. You're right. Let me oh, take God, that we're back. Learning a lot. <laughs> we're like- 
back we're learning the, yeah. a lot about each other here and i don't <laughs> yeah, know if it's good it's or bad very, very but later. <laughs> <laughs> okay uh so David, our last question uh is is there an underrepresented voice in the industry whether it's an actor writer or producer creator that is not mainstream or doesn't have enough shine on them uh that you think people need to know about and you want to give a shout out to multiple answers are accepted you know, feel free yeah wow I th there's a, a melamine is an actor who I just think is so powerful, so talented, multi-talented. That that guy to me, he should be up there with the John Boyega and the Daniel Kaluuyas. Um, you know, he he is someone I just think is a, a fantastic talent. Um, I'm cheating here because. Um, he is well known and he, I wouldn't say he's mainstream, but I just think Jeffrey Wright is one of the best living. No, actors, you're right. You know, <laughs> and, and, and I just, for me, I, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I just, he, he's, look, I'm sure he feels he's doing fine. I just can't get enough of Jeffrey Wright. No, you I know? agree. He, yeah. He is, he is a yeah. stupendous talent. And I love him on Twitter too. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, I'm not on Twitter. I didn't yeah, know he had the whole Twitter he, thing. Yeah, he has he has a opinion and he is not afraid to to say it. And I love yeah. it. Yeah. I, wow. I totally agree. It's like it's like he hasn't, he's been around, like he's been doing amazing things from his the beginning of his career. Like when I saw him in Angels in America, uh, you know, uh, that that performance. Oh I mean like, Basquiat and, yeah, yeah. and like he doesn't know how to give a bad performance. It is ridiculous how yeah, talented he is. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. just like his versatility, it's like seeing him in Hunger Games and him just like turning around and doing something like, you know, Westworld. It's just like, what is this man? Where where did he come from? And why aren't we not loving him more? That kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think he's he's brilliant. But Amel, I think, is a, a special talent. Yeah, I think we'll see more of Amel soon. I know he's directing something, so I think we're gonna. Yeah, see him. yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. he's directed a film called Boxing Day. So uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to that. <laughs> David, well, thank David, you. thank you. Yo, oh, sorry, Amanda, I was interrupting. No, it's okay. <laughs> 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 no, I was just saying thank you for being here. Um, this was an amazing yeah. conversation. Um, yes, yes. I'm very happy to have you on. And congrats to your first, to you. completing your first film. And I hope that we get to see some more from you in the future. Thank you. Thank yes. you. Thank you. Well, I, this has been so much more fun than I should be able to have at like 10, 1030 at night in the UK. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, and thank you for th thank you for staying up late for us yeah. for, for, for our little podcast. No, no, no. This was this was so much fun. And uh, yeah, you know, we, we, we covered everything. So we solved the world. I can now sleep well. We saw all of and we, we we admitted to breaking the law. Well, I did more than anyone else. <laughs> you, you are a full-on <laughs> criminal after this. You're, you're stealing masks. Yeah. You're, you're, I mean, like food. Running red uh, lights. Running red, <laughs> running red lights. lights. And you didn't say enough Hail Marys. Your, yes, I mean, and you your didn't say enough Hail Marys. You are a mess. My mom's going to, my mom is going to call me after this episode airs. And I'm like, oh. 
you need to come home now. Get get out of LA. Yeah. You, yeah. You're get coming cleansed. home and living with us. Everyone else would get cleansed. You need to be exorcised. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Target, Target, I am sorry. I will I'm, I'm go back to Target. David Oyelowo told me to return this mask that I took. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Anyway, thank you again so much. This is this has been uh, so fun. Like I'm actually yeah, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so uh, much, David. David. Thank you, you guys. We'll speak soon.